meetings Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday at the appointed times. And I do want to mention that I want to encourage you to be here Easter Sunday. A lot of times you can get family and friends and neighbors uh, who don't come any, to church any other time. A lot of times you can get them to come on Easter Sunday. So make plans to invite them to be here on Easter Sunday. And also you be here also. Love to see a full house. And I've talked to some of our members who haven't been here in several months. They told me that they'll be here on Easter Sunday. So uh, that'd be a blessing. So go ahead and turn your Bibles here to the uh, here to the book of Acts chapter 4. One of my favorite pat, one of my favorite books to read is the book of Acts. It just talks about the early church and just the excitement that took place in the early church. And if you want to know anything about the early church, you ought to study the book of Acts and just see some of the great things that took place here in the book of Acts. And I haven't preached on this topic in quite some time, but I believe it's one of the most important topics to preach about when it comes to ministry, when it comes to church. When it comes to your just general life as a Christian, as being a spirit-filled Christian, uh, you understand the reason that's important is because it's a spirit that uh, allows God to do the work that he desires to do within you so that you can be a help and a benefit to others. If you come here to Acts chapter 4, many of you know this passage of scripture. This story begins in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John, they come to the temple gate. And when they come to the temple gate, they see this lame man who's laying at the temple gate. He's just asking for alms. And he asks Peter and John for alms. And you know the story. Peter looks at him and says, Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, rise up and walk. And, you know, astonishingly, what happened? He rose up and he began to walk. And Peter and John began to take him throughout the temple. And pe uh, people, uh, this man was a, a, a man who was familiar with the people who came to the temple and they saw a great change in his life. It was a miracle that could not be refuted. Then you know the story where the scribes and the, the, head, the chief priests and the Sadducees, they began to condemn Peter and John for this miracle. They couldn't refute the miracle, but they condemned Peter and John, and uh, they began to they arrest them and put them in prison for a night. And then we come here to Acts chapter 4. We find what takes place in, uh, of this passage of Scripture. Look here in verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 13. And in this passage of Scripture, the entirety of Acts chapter 4 tells us some things on what spirit-filled Christians, uh, not, uh, that not what they ought to do, but what spirit-filled Christians will do. You look here in verse 1, it says, And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Have you agreed that the religious leaders of that day, if anyone should have been excited about this man, it should have been the religious leaders. But these religious leaders... They weren't doing it for the sake of people, but they were doing it for the sake of popularity and for the sake of uh, disempowerment. And they realized that if this continued, their empowerment and their popularity was going to cease to exist. And you come here to verse 2. It says, Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It says, And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. It says, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000 people. So you understand when you go there to the book of Acts chapter 2, that's the beginning of the New Testament church. 120 people uh, were the membership of that early church. Then the next day there at the Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved. So they go from 120 people, then in one day they have 3,120 people. Then sometime later, we don't know the time frame, the Bible doesn't give that to us. But sometime later, 5,000 more people were saved and baptized and added to the local New Testament church. 
So the early church from just a, a, a short span went from 120 people to about 8,120 people. And within just a couple of years, 25,000 people were the membership of the church there in Jerusalem. And, and it's one reason I believe that took place is because these were spirit-filled Christians. Anytime you're a spirit-filled Christian in a spirit-filled ministry, you'll see conversions. If there's a ministry that doesn't see conversions throughout a multiple amount of months and even years, I'm not saying they're not spirit-filled, but I'm saying you better check up and make sure you are spirit-filled. Because when you're spirit-filled and a church is spirit-filled, there'll be conversions and there'll be exciting things taking place like the early church. You come here to verse, uh, uh, go ahead and verse 3, it says, And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. It says, Howbeit many of them heard the word and believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. It says, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? And what's interesting about this is what were the religious leaders trying to do? They were trying to suppress the name of Jesus Christ. They were trying to suppress the reality that he arose from the grave. See, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I find it pretty interesting, find it humorous. The very question that they asked Peter gave Peter the opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And what happens here in this scripture? You look here in verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. It says, This is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. It says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them, and I hope that this would be said of us today, that they had been with Jesus. It says, And beholding the man which was healed standing, by, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. And you find here in the scripture, if you study the entirety of this chapter, it just gives us three truths, three actions that these spirit-filled men did that I believe if we're spirit-filled, these actions will be present in our life today. And it's not a matter of they might be present, but if you're spirit-filled, it's guaranteed these three actions will be present in your life today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and thank you for those who were able to come out here this Wednesday night, the midweek hour. I pray that they'd be strengthened. Lord, we understand that there's a lot of things in ministry that are important. Lord, I believe the most important thing in ministry is that we become spirit-filled Christians. Lord, I pray that we'd better understand the importance of this and that we would become a spirit-filled church every time these doors are open. And not only that, but every day of the week that we would seek to be spirit-filled Christians and led and directed by the Holy Spirit of God for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When you study the book of Acts, and I have done it quite often, and you do well if you haven't, to do it yourself also to
to study the early church and the events that took place in the early church. It was a very exciting church to be. A lot of events were taking place, and uh, just uh, many people were converted to the cause of Christ, and missionaries were being sent out here in Acts chapter 13, and uh, churches were being planted, uh, you know, just uh, not only in Jerusalem, but also in Antioch and the regions beyond. And the reason why churches were planted and the reason why there was such great success and prosperity in the early church is because they lived holy lives. In other words, they didn't become part of the world. When Jesus Christ saved them, he changed them. And not only that, but they became spirit-filled Christians. In other words, they had the Holy Spirit indwelling within them. And if you're saved here today, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you. But that doesn't make you a spirit-filled Christian. When it comes to uh, being a Christian today, I believe the greatest thing that you can do as a Sunday school teacher, the greatest thing that I can do as a pastor, the greatest thing that you can do as a lay person in the church is to be a spirit-filled Christian. And you're not going to be spirit-filled just because you're a Christian. You're not going to be spirit-filled just because you read your Bible or just because you pray. There's certain things that you have to do. There, and, I'm not, I, and there's really some formula there to, that we need to learn as Christians so that we can be a spirit-filled so that these events can take place in the church house today in 2021. You know, the same God that, uh, that, uh, that brought prosperity to the early church is the same God that we serve. And I'm not saying that we're going to see multitudes saved, but I'm saying we serve a God who has the ability to use the church to bring multitudes to Jesus Christ. Have you to agree with that tonight? And you look here, the book of Acts is one of the dominant traits of, the, uh, of these Christians that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to direct you, to guide you, to teach you. You go there to the book of John chapter 16, and uh, Jesus told his disciples, it is expedient that I leave so the comforter can come. And why is that important? You know, it wouldn't be much better that Jesus stay physically with us. So therefore, he and he told them, no, it's important that I leave so that the Holy Spirit come in, can come in and dwell in your heart and in your life and he can fill you and he can direct you so that great things can take place. And you look here when you study John chapter 16, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to direct you, to guide you, uh, to teach you, basically to make you a better Christian. And it's important that we understand some things about the, uh, the Holy Spirit today. But, you know, tonight we're going to study about two men who were filled with the Spirit and pleased God with their life and ministry that God had, pl God had placed with them. You know, any church that will see conversions and have meetings when God is present, it must be done with the Holy Spirit. Have you agreed today that not every time we meet, God is with us? But if God is with us today and we're going to see conversions, it will never happen if the Holy Spirit is not present. We're going to see conversions and we're going to see times where God meets with us and it should be every time we meet. It's only going to happen because of the Holy Spirit of God. It'll never take place when the Holy Spirit of God is not present here tonight. But you look here at this scripture, you know, the Holy Spirit of God, he's a third person in the Trinity. You know, if you're saved, he lives within your, he lives within you and what your body is, what the temple of God, you've been bought with the price. And the Bible says, since you've been bought with the price, what is that price? That price is uh, his shed blood on Calvary's cross. And it says, because he shed his blood, what is our duty? We are the temple of God. Therefore, we should glorify God with our bodies and basically with our spirit, with our minds, and with everything that we have. And you look here, when you think about the Holy Spirit, uh, since your body is a temple of God, he wants to guide and direct your life today. You know, the New Testament gives us five commandments in regards 
to the Holy Spirit. There is never any type of commandment given in the New Testament where we are commanded to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit, when you're saved, he indwells within you today. And have you even this week have felt the tugging of the Holy Spirit in your life? A couple of you. <laughs> so, you know, it's important. And I believe if you see great things in your life and you may not even care. And you can go ahead and live your life and not be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you're not going to be a person who has these actions in your life. And you're not going to have a prosperous life. And you're not going to have a prosperous ministry spiritually uh, and, and eternally. Because what happens, you cannot have that without the Holy Spirit. And those five things that, before we get to the message, I want you to understand about the Holy Spirit that we're commanded to do in regards to the Holy Spirit. There in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, quench not the Spirit. When you think of quench not the spirit, that simply means that you refuse to respond to the Holy Spirit, to respond to his working in your life. And it's important that when the Holy Spirit works in your life, whether it be something simple or something, you know, something's even bigger, you need to learn to respond. This is something as simple as when the Holy Spirit says, give that person a track. You know what you need to do? Don't quench the Holy Spirit. He's trying to do a work in your life. And when he tells you to give that person a track, that may be something simple, but if you can't obey that simple command, he's not going to give you greater commands to do. And it's important as Christians that we don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't uh, refuse to respond to his working in your life. And I think that's one of the great tragedies of today in 2021. A lot of people, they just refuse to respond to the Holy Spirit because it's my life. I'm going to live it as I want and no one's going to change it. God's not going to change it. And I'm just going to live this way until I die. And God will let you. But you'll never, you'll never be a prosperous, a prosperous person in the eyes of God. So the first commandment that we've got to do is make sure that we don't quench the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts you. The preacher do not convict you. Your parents don't convict you. Your spouse doesn't convict you. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts you. And I will say this. God may use your spouse to convict you. <laughs> God may use your wife to convict your husband, to convict you, husband. I'm not going to say he's going to do that every day, but God sometimes will use your spouse, your husband, your wife, your children to teach you certain things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we find here in the scripture, the Holy Spirit, for the purpose of him indwelling within us and being filled with the spirit is to teach us, to direct us. And that word quench means don't discourage the Holy Spirit by his working in your heart. And how do you love it when the Holy Spirit works in your heart? You know, he convicts you. And conviction is not bad. Conviction is a good thing. But carnal people, carnal Christians, when the Holy Spirit convicts them, you know, they get offended by that. And they're not going to respond. And it, but understand this. If you fail to respond to the Holy Spirit, eventually he won't work with you anymore. Eventually he'll just say, it's your way. Have life the way you want it and see how good it is. It's like you go knock on some door and you're trying to visit somebody and they don't answer what do you do you knock a few times and they don't answer so what do you do you just leave and that's what the holy spirit does sometimes he'll knock on your heart he'll convict you but if you refuse to respond and you quench the holy spirit long enough eventually you'll just say okay it's your life i'm not going to force you you go ahead and live it your way and see how it turns out and, and that's the first thing that we're commanded is not quenching the holy spirit you go there to verse uh, ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says grieve not the holy spirit in other words, don't have actions in your life that will bring grief to the Holy Spirit. Don't make decisions in your life that will grieve the Holy Spirit. How many of you parents can say sometimes your children make decisions that bring grief to you? 
Every parent has been to that uh, that state in their life as a you know as a as a parent, as a mom or a dad. And that's sort of what the Holy Spirit's saying here. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't make decisions that would grieve him, that would bring sorrow to, to him. And then we go there to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, walk in the spirit. What is the purpose of walking in the spirit? So that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Every one of us have flesh. And every one of us struggle with the flesh every day. And the only way that you'll overcome the flesh is walk in the spirit. And walking in the spirit is just not a natural thing. You don't wake up and think, man, I'm ready to walk in the spirit today. Not every day do you wake up and think, man, I'm ready to read the Bible. There are days I wake up and, man, I'm excited to read the Bible. But I'll be honest, there are days I wake up and my flesh says, you know what, let's just put the Bible aside today. And i, I got to put the flesh down and think, well, I'm going to purpose to read the Bible because I know that's important. And if I don't, if I don't uh, put the flesh down, what's going to happen is I'm going to live a fleshly life that day. And the flesh will take me down a path and cause me to do things that are not pleasing to God. So that's why we walk in the spirit, so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Jude in verse 20. Why did I say verse 20? Because there's only one chapter in the, book of, in, the book, in the book of Jude. It says, pray in the spirit. You know, many times we pray, and, and I've been trying to work on this, because I believe prayer is, a, is a, probably the hardest thing that we as Christians struggle with. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. That's the only thing he wants us to do without ceasing, is pray without ceasing. And that's something that is probably the hardest thing to do as a human being. And it's not necessarily, it's not, it's not hard to pray, but I don't want to be a person who just, who, who just spits out words as I'm praying. I want to pray as the Holy Spirit wants me to pray. Words I, and you find that when you're praying in the Spirit, a lot of your requests is not about you, but it's about others. It's about the work of God. It's about, uh, it's about the ministry of other people. It's about the needs of other people. It's about glorifying God. So realize this, you've got to pray in the Spirit. But if you look here in verse in Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 18, the last command that he tells us here is to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. You can't fill your life with fleshly things and be filled with the Spirit. You, it's just not going to take place. You can't fill your life with uh, uh, the carnal things and expect to come to church and be filled with the Spirit. You're not going to have a Spirit-filled church if you have a carnal church. You're not going to have a spirit-filled church when there's envying and strife and divisions. According to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says you've got to put away those things. Those are things that we work, have to work on continuously because of our flesh. But the Bible says be filled with the Spirit. And what is the idea behind that? The idea that the Spirit desires to direct and guide you and empower us. Why? So that we can be used as honorable vessels in the hand of God. You think of the two men that we're talking about tonight, and we'll read about it. Peter and John, they were humans just like you and I. They, they got saved the same way that you and I got saved. But these were men who walked in the Spirit. They didn't grieve the Spirit. They didn't quench the Spirit. They prayed in the Spirit. And these were men who were filled with the Spirit. And look what God did with them. God used Peter. You say, well, preacher, I've committed certain sins and God's not going to use me. Well, Pete, God, Peter was a person who denied Jesus Christ three times, but God still used him at Pentecost. So don't let the devil tell you, you know, I've committed certain sins or maybe I committed a sin this week and I'm not usable. Reality is the Bible says if, you're if, you, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and he'll still use you. But you've got to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to say, Holy Spirit, teach me, direct me, guide me. 
And, I, and if that was an easy thing, then guess what? Everyone would be doing it. <laughs> if it was an easy thing, that every church would be spirit-filled. If it was an easy thing, that every church would be filled tonight. If it was an easy thing, that there would be conversions every week in every church. But it's not an easy thing. It's something you have to work on. But it's the most important thing that we need in our churches today is we don't necessarily need more people. And, yes, more people would be good, but we need spirit-filled people. When you have spirit-filled people, guess what? Don't worry about it. God will take care of the rest. And, and, we, and the Bible never tells us or commands us being dwelt by the Spirit. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. How many of you are thankful tonight that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you? Uh, if you're saved, you do. But can I challenge you? We're not going to go through the process of how to be filled tonight. I'm going to go through the process of teach, uh, teaching you and just showing you three things on what spirit-filled people do. And then by that, you can think, well, okay, if I'm spirit-filled, I should be doing those things. It's not a question as I may do those things. No, you will be doing those things. And I would say if you're not doing these things, then you ought to say, well, I'm going to humble myself and just admit I'm not a spirit-filled Christian. And let the Holy Spirit work on you accordingly. And you look here at this scripture. If we go back here to the book of Acts, you know, here in the book of Acts, we see many great examples of men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I love the book of Acts because about every page you read, every page in the book of Acts, every chapter you read, it says this, they were filled with the Spirit. That was a key quality of the early church. And we see how the early church was blessed by God, and the early church was a work that was used by God. Have you agreed that that's the same way God works today? And it's no other way. We can have more methods. We can have more ministries. We can have all the activities we want. But God still works the same way as he did in the early church. And if he did it then, then I believe he can do it now. But we got to be spirit-filled. Now, go back here to the Acts chapter 4. And just by way of introduction, if you look here in chapters 3 and chapter 4, they go together. Uh, you know, we have a record of the healing of the lame man beginning in chapter 3 who was laid at the temple gate. And it was custom for the disciples to visit the temple every day. Every day the disciples would visit the temple for a time of prayer, and that's a time where they would worship God. And it was, you know, they, they were coming here about the, I would say the 3 o'clock hour, where they were going to come and spend some time in prayer together. And by the way, Peter and John were going into the temple to do what? To pray together. It's good to spend time with other Christians in prayer together. That's why we meet on Sunday morning, and that's why we meet at 5.30, and that's why we meet at other times so that other Christians can pray together. But most Christians, they don't even desire to pray with other Christians. And Peter and John, every day they went to the temple, and they spent time in prayer together. And that's what they were doing, and they come to this temple, and they're this lame man who I'm sure they have seen there before, and he'd been, he'd been placed there year after year, day after day to beg alms and have his needs taken care of. As people walked in the temple, they would give him money. They would give him certain things that would meet his needs. And Peter and John, like most Baptist preachers, come to this door, and this man asked for alms. And what did Peter say? He says, silver and gold have I none, but I got something more precious than silver and gold. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Because reality is, silver and gold could not make this man walk. But what could make this man walk? It was Jesus Christ. And Peter knew Jesus Christ, and he understood that there's no other person that could heal this man. So what did happens here? Look here in chapter 3, and look here in verse, uh, go ahead and look here in verse 6. 
says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now look what happens here. The man didn't, he didn't, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a progressive thing. Look what happens here in verse 7. It says, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Well, how long had he been in this condition? You go there to chapter 4 and verse 22. It says, For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. So I would say nearly 40 years he was in this condition. But what happens here? And that's what you're doing when you proclaim Jesus Christ. You're helping lifting people up. You're grabbing them by the hand and saying, I'm going to help heal you. Because this miracle is really a representation of what salvation does. This man's life was changed from that moment on. And that's what salvation does to a person. And you look here in chapter 3 and verses 3 through 7, we find an undeniable, undeniable miracle took place in the life of this lame man. It gained the attention of the people. And as Peter proclaimed the name of Jesus here in chapters 3 and chapter 4, there was about 5,000 people that heard the word and they believed and they were was converted because they responded to the word that was preached to them and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, if you come back here to chapter 4 and verse 1, it's pretty interesting here. It says, and as they spake unto the people, the priest, the religious leaders, well, who's the priest today? Uh, you know, our, our high priest is the Lord. And I'm thankful that I don't have to go to the Pope to go to God today. But these high priests, it, you know, you say, well, these people aren't present today. Well, uh, honestly, you could say it's a Pope and could be other people in other religions that want to put themselves in high positions. They believe that you have to go to them to get to God. And they don't want people to, that, you know, I'm not for sure. I've never been in the Catholic church, but I've been to Catholic wedding and funeral. But what I've heard about Catholics that I've talked to, they were told not to read the word of God. It was the only people that could understand the word of God. And that's how the Sadducees were. They tried to teach people, well, we, are, we, we have great knowledge of the Word of God. You can't understand what we understand. And I'm thankful today that uh, I can highly proclaim and proudly proclaim and boldly proclaim that the same Bible that I read and I, I understand is the same Bible that you read and you can all also understand it also. And, and you look here at the Scripture, it says, and, it came, and as they speak unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So when you think of here, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They saw danger in this miracle. They saw danger of the excitement uh, that arose from Peter's teaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the miracle and the message that was taking place. So what did they do? They grabbed the Sanhedrin council together, the religious leaders, because it would, uh, and the reason they wanted to, uh, basically suppress this because this would interfere with their authority. The people would no longer look to them, but they would look to Jesus Christ. But there's some lessons here that we learn here about Peter and John. If you come here to verse 5, what happens? Peter begins preaching what we would call his third sermon since Pentecost. And, you know, it was at this time where he just teaches us some things that what people do when they're spirit-filled. You come here, I just want to give you three actions of any man or woman who is spirit-filled. Look here in verses 7 through 12, real quick. The first action that will take place when you are spirit-filled is mentioned here in verse 7. It says, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? 
So what is happening here? It's, and by the way, this is taking place in our society today. The same persecution that took place in Acts chapter 4 is taking place today. It's called psychological persecution. And that's what these priests did. They tried to psychologically persecute Peter and John. They tried to suppress them from saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, if you keep on proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, then worse things are going to happen to you. And that's what every nation does who is anti-Christian, anti-God. They try to psychologically uh, persecute you. If you can't take psychological persecution, you'll never take physical persecution. If you can't stand for Jesus now, when the time comes and they say, hey, either you're going to jail or, or you, you quit proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ or you're going to jail, you know what you're going to do? You're going to quit proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Because I don't know, it may not be in our lifetime, but coming in the future, physical persecution will take place. And you look here in this scripture, what happens here? In verse 8 it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. So what name did they not want to hear? Jesus Christ. <laughs> and Peter knew that. But the very question they asked allowed Peter to do what? To proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. See, that's how God works. They arrest Peter and John because they proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And so they stand before the court and the judge says, well, by what power, by what name do you do this miracle? And he's like, well, praise God. Now I get to proclaim the name of Jesus. So what happens here? What is the lesson here? If you're a spirit-filled Christian, what's going to take place? You're going to have a voice that always speaks the truth. You will always speak the truth. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're in the public system doesn't matter if you're in the court system and, and they're trying you because you're a Christian. Reality is, is doesn't matter where you're at. You're always going to do what? Be proud and bold to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful today that we can proclaim the name of Jesus Christ freely? You better do it why it's free because there may come a day where it's not. We don't have the freedom to do that. So have a voice that speaks truth. And you look here in this question, even in the midst of pressure and persecution, spirit-filled men will always speak the truth. When, when I think of this, you think of a marriage. What is one of the greatest traits of a marriage? Knowing your spouse always speaks the truth. <laughs> the greatest trait of a marriage is to know that the person you're looking at and they're talking, you know they're telling the truth. That's one of the most valuable thing in a marriage. You know what a valuable thing is when preachers get up here to know they're speaking the truth? You know what a valuable thing is that when your Sunday school teacher teaches or anyone that you're talking to here, that maybe they're telling the truth? How many of you have been around people where you question whether they're telling the truth? <laughs> it's not a pleasant thing because you're like, well, do I believe it or do I not? <laughs> are they telling me the truth or are they not? But spirit-filled Christians will always be a voice that speaks truth. And, and, and sometimes that truth convicts you. But even when that truth convicts you, you ought to be thankful that they have a voice that's speaking truth. And a spirit-filled Christian will always speak truth. They're not going to compromise on that. And you look here, I just put here in my notes, no matter if it is in your marriage, no matter if it's in your ministry or your workplace or in public, honesty is always the best and only policy. You ought to write that down. Honesty is the best and only policy, no matter what. Well, preacher, I did this, and if I'm honest about it, other people are going to what? 
I'm going to get reprimanded for that. Well, then go ahead and humble yourself and be willing to get reprimanded for that. What did David do in Psalm chapter 51? He committed that sin against Bathsheba, and he had Uriah murdered. Well, in Psalm chapter 51, he humbled himself and said, okay, I'm guilty. When Nathan the prophet came to him and said, thou art the man, what did David do? He didn't try to, he didn't try to put on someone else. He says, I am the man. <clears throat> Sometimes, if you're going to be honest because of some mistake you made, you know what? God will honor that. So can I encourage a Christian friend? A spirit-filled Christian will always speak truth. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. John 16, 13, and 14, it says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will what guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. You know the neat thing about Peter when they asked him this question? Never once did he take credit for it. He didn't say, yeah, look at me. <laughs> no, he always pointed and gave the glory to God. See, even though God may use you to do a great miracle in someone's life, if you're spirit-filled, you're not going to want to get the glory. You're always going to say, hey, you better give the glory to God, not me. And that's, he had a truthful heart. You need to be truthful in your speech, be truthful in your heart. You know, didn't, Peter didn't respond by, well, my opinion is this. <laughs> he, he didn't look at these religious leaders and say, well, here's my opinion. No, he just did what? See, sometimes we respond by like, well, here's what I believe. Well, who cares what you believe? <laughs> who cares what I believe? Let's go to the Word of God and see what God's Word says. And, and I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I, you know, you talk to neighbors and you talk to people in this world and they think, well, well and they ask your opinion. They think, well, here's what I believe. I tried to come to this point. Well, I try to keep those words out of my mouth because it doesn't matter what I believe. What matters most is what God's Word says. And Peter didn't say, well, here's what I believe. No, Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I did this. You can either accept it or you can't, but the miracle took place, and you can't, you, you can't refute that. <laughs> so he had a voice that always spoke truth. And that's one thing that will take place when you're a spirit-filled Christian. Winston Churchill says there is no way to love and follow God without loving and following truth. He says these two cannot be separated. You know what we need tonight? We need men and women who can be trusted to stand on the truth of God's word and proclaim the truth. You know, truth, you find here, what, what has brought many false religions in, into our world today? A little bit of truth taken out of context. <laughs> See, that's what the devil's done. He's taken this truth, and, he's, and he's, he's allowed men to take it out of context, and that's where you get religion after religion after religion, because they, you know, they believe in some of the things we believe. And by the way, I'll just say this, last night, or Monday night at Constitution class, um, and I love the dear lady, but she says something that I disagree with. She said she's believed that we should all unite with other religions. I'll tell you this, I'm, the, this is a preacher that's not going to stand besides a man who doesn't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're looking at a preacher that's not going to stand by a person who doesn't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. She says, the only way that we're going to change our nation is we all unite together. We, all the religions get together. I'm not going to unite with a Muslim because they don't believe that my God is the God of heaven. I'm not going to unite with a, uh, and I'll, I'm not going to name any other religions, but there's other, and you know, you know what they are. 
What's wrong with this? Well, I'm not going to unite with them because they don't take a stand on the truths of God's word. They've denied the deity of Jesus Christ. They've denied the virgin birth. They, they've denied this. And these are important doctrines that we need to hold to. So you understand, I don't know what that came up about, but I just figured I'd mention it. Because when I was sitting back there, I'm like, oh, I want to get up so bad and say, nope, you're wrong. <laughs> but I figured that wouldn't be a good testimony. So, But you look here. What happens here when you're a person who speaks truth? I put here letter A is you're confident in what is speaking. See, Peter was confident in what he was speaking. He didn't think, well, I think it was Jesus. <laughs> no, it was Jesus. He was confident in what he was speaking because he knew that this miracle would not have taken place if it wasn't Jesus, if it wasn't for Jesus. But you find here he was confident in what he was speaking, but he was plain in what he was speaking. He didn't have tiptoe around the truth. He said, here, who's, it's, it's the name of Jesus Christ. He says, there's none other name under heaven good among, among men whereby we must be saved. His name is Jesus Christ. Either you take it or you reject it. It's your choice, but I'm being plain in my speech. But not only was he plain in his speech, but he was courageous in his speech. We won't turn there for sake of time, but you go there to look at Joshua chapter 1. What did uh, Moses has died? Joshua has taken over the leadership of Israel. He's going to lead Israel over the Jordan River to claim the promised land. And here's a young man. Here's a, here, here's a young servant of God. Well, how do I do this? So he gets in touch with God. God tells him, here's what's going to happen. And God gave him this promise that just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And no man's going to hurt you. See, it's a good thing when you just know you're on God's side. Because other men may criticize you and other men may do this. But if you're filled with the Spirit and you're doing it God's way, you don't have to worry about it. So what did Joshua do in Joshua 1? He heard from God. And the next thing he did, he got the leaders together. And he was clear in what he was speaking. Because he says, here's what God says. Either you take it or reject it. <laughs> if you're a Spirit-filled Christian and you'll get into the truth, then you can be courageous in your speech. But here's the next thing. Look here in verse 15 of chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Are you still with me? Look here in verse 15. The next action that will take place when you're a spirit-filled Christian is you'll speak the truth. But here's the next thing. It says in verse 15, it says, But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. It says, but that it spread no further among us, well, let us do what? Let us straightly threaten them. So they're psychologically threatening them. Some of you at your workplace, maybe you've been psychologically threatened. Let them psychologically threaten you. Because there's a God in heaven who created them. And you keep on reading here in, in, in verse, it says that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. So they're going to threaten them. Don't you ever speak in the name of Jesus Christ again or else we're going to put you in jail. But look here. It says, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. And I love their response. It says, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, what happened? They let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish him because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Here's the next thing that will happen if you're a spirit-filled Christian. 
you will refuse to compromise in your stand. Have you agreed there's a lot of churches compromising today? And by the way, there's a lot of Christians uh, compromising today. There's a lot of Baptists compromising today. Not just their doctrine, but their stand, their living, their beliefs. They're compromising. And you look here in the scripture, you know, many churches are changing what they believe and teach. And we must realize we're living in changing times. But you know what? We still serve the same God. We still have the same Bible. We still have the same doctrines. And you look here in the scripture, if you're a spirit-filled man, it doesn't matter if you're living in a culture that's pressuring people all around them to compromise and and, and accept abortion, accept same-sex marriage, accept sodomy, accept the LGBTQ movement, accept transgenderism, accept the reality is that, you know, we don't have the inspired, preserved word of God. Go ahead and accept that and compromise on that. It's not too bad. But the reality is, is when you move the line, the line keeps moving. So I'm thankful today that we have a line we have a guideline right here, and this word never changes. And if this word never changes, you know what happens? We should have a church that never changes. If culture wants to compromise, go ahead, but we're going to take a stand. If other churches want to compromise on, on some certain beliefs and teachings, go ahead and let them compromise. And by the way, I'm not saying you change. It, it's not wrong if you change things every now and then. But you don't change your doctrine. You don't change your standards. You don't change the thing you're living that goes according to God's word. Those are things that we will not compromise on. And as Christians, we've got to refuse to compromise. There in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. A lot of my beliefs I got from my dad. A lot of the way that we do ministries, I grew up in a ministry like that much larger, but uh, we, we just follow some of their tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition. You know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, having preaching every time we meet. Amen. <clears throat> and you look here, we need, to live, we, we need to understand we need to be Christians who don't compromise. We personally stand for the truth. What is, what is uh, when you think of if you're not going to compromise, there's one thing you have to do. You've got to personally stand for the truth. Other people may move, but I'm not. Doesn't mean I'm better than them, but I'm not moving. Because the Holy Spirit said, this is truth, and I'm going to stand where the Holy Spirit told me is truth. You know, before Satan will attack your family or your ministry, you know what's going to happen? He's going to attack you. Men, before Satan will attack your wife, he'll attack you. Because if he can get you to compromise, he'll get your wife to compromise. And if he can get the husband and wife to compromise, he'll get the children to compromise. If he can get the pastor to compromise, he can get the congregation to compromise. If he can get the Sunday school teacher to compromise, he'll get the Sunday school class to compromise. But realize this. He's not going to go towards your class or your family first. He's going towards you first. Why have a lot of families compromised? Because dad did. Why have a lot of churches compromised? Because the pastor did. So we, a spirit-filled Christian will refuse to compromise and take their stand. Then we come here, what happens when uh, when you, uh, or a person who refuses to compromise, you personally decide to take a stand, but you'll continue to be a light in this dark world. I, I believe now more than ever that Christians should be involved in politics. 
You know, we complain about culture. When was the last time you called the senator and said, hey, I want you to vote this way? The Equality Act. It, it, it's going to push where churches have to accept LGBTQ. Well, go ahead and pass that act. We're not going to accept it. We love the people, but we don't love their sin. And, and as Christians, we complain about that. Well, when was the last time you called your representative and said, hey, here's what I expect you to do? Because when you call your representative, you don't say, well, I want you to vote. No, you are working for me, so therefore I expect you to do this. And I'm not saying you do it in a rude way, but you need to take a stand. You know, I find most politicians, they, they, they respect that. So a Christian who's spirit-filled and is going to refuse to compromise, they've got to be a light in this dark world. I mean, you think of David. Where there was Goliath. Goliath was, uh, uh, he, he, was, uh, he was defaming the name of God. And he was, uh, defi- basically, he was uh, defying the people of God. And David came on scene and says, is there not a cause? <laughs> he got involved. Have you agree that we should get involved also? There is a cause. You know what the cause is? This next generation, this church, the generations coming after that. That's why we need to take a stand because there's generations coming after us that need us to take a stand. Then you come here to the last thing and we'll be finished. Look here in verses 31 through 35. Here's the third thing of a person who is spirit-filled. They'll refuse to compromise. They'll be a person who always speaks the truth. Here's one of the greatest things of a person who is really spirit-filled. Look here in verse 31 through 35. So what happens here? Uh, They're let go. They they are out of jail, and the religious leaders of that day just let Peter and John go after they threatened them. Well, Peter and John are let loose, and they're like, you know what, we're going to still proclaim the name of Jesus. So they, they get together with the church. They get together with other Christians in verse 31, and what happens here? It says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. But look here, because they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, what happens here? It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, we don't practice that today. One of the reasons we don't practice that is because there's been a lot of uh, uh, robbers that come into the church. (laughs) I'm talking about a lot of hirelings that stand in the pulpits that can't be trusted with finances. Do you know what my belief is? My philosophy is anyone who's a member of this church, you have a need, you let us know. It's our duty to help take care of that need. Spirit-filled churches will help take care of the needs of those in that church. When you look here in the scripture, basically what happens here, the thought I put here, a spirit-filled Christian will affect the atmosphere around them for the better. When you get around, is the atmosphere like walking on needles? a good atmosphere, then you walk in, oh, my goodness, better watch how I walk, watch how I talk. <laughs> See, what happened when Peter and John came, they were filled with the Spirit. And what did they do when they got together with the church? They prayed together. They had a church prayer meeting. 
And that prayer meeting calls everyone in the congregation to be filled with the Spirit. And they were in one accord. And it affected the atmosphere. You keep on reading through the whole book of Acts. People who are filled with the Spirit of God always affected the atmosphere around them for the better. And it wasn't necessarily, the atmosphere wasn't about them, it was about others. Have you agreed that church ministry, you know, I'm thankful I come to church and I get blessed. And hopefully I'm a blessing, but when you come to church, have an attitude of, you know what, I may have had a bad day today, but I'm just going to try to be a blessing to someone. I'm going to try to just encourage someone else. How many of you ever talk with someone and say, well, how are you doing today? And you're like, oh, I really didn't want to ask that, but I did. Because <laughs> they're going to spend the next two hours telling you how they really are doing. <laughs> you know, Peter and John, when they came to the church, they didn't say, well, here, I mean, they, they, they rehearsed what happened to them, but they didn't dwell on it. They realized, hey, let's just let this go and let's start praying to God. And the whole church was affected. Lives were changed. So you understand, Christian friend, the atmosphere, what did they do? They had an atmosphere of directing people to God. They had an atmosphere that people could see God work. They had an atmosphere that brought unity. One of the greatest things I love in church is when there's unity, when there's peace, when people are edified, when people don't come to church and it's all about them, but it's about, you know what, I'm here to help you. I'm here to be a blessing to you. I'm here to just see God work. How do you believe we need revival in the church? Because when revival comes, what happens? There is peace. There is unity. And life is all about others and Jesus and not you. Can I ask you a Christian friend? You know personally if those three actions are in your life. And I'll just boldly say this. If they are not in your life, you're not a spirit-filled Christian. But you say, preacher, I want to get to that point. By the way, being spirit-filled is a daily task. <laughs> every day you wake up and think, my flesh, I struggle with the flesh every morning. Just stay in bed a little bit longer. And about three hours later, a little bit longer. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but then I finally get up. My flesh doesn't say, well, go ahead and read your Bible and pray. No, my flesh says, well, let's go do this and this. A lot, Sadly, a lot of Christians, every day they wake up and they give in to the flesh. And they get to the end of their day and they haven't read their Bible, they haven't prayed. And they want to come to church and be spirit-filled. It doesn't work that way. It works when you say, every day, I'm going to purpose to do this. I'm going to purpose to do that. Nothing will keep me from doing that. And when you do that, then hopefully we can come to church and we can be a spirit-filled church. And we'll have these three actions in our life. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. And thank you for the attention of those here tonight. And Lord, I do thank you for our church. I also thank you for the word of God of how we can learn to be spirit-filled, but the actions that we know if we're spirit-filled, may we seek more than anything to be spirit-filled Christians. And that's the greatest need of the hour in every family, every church, every personal life. Pray that we be spirit-filled to your glory and to your honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand, please, with our heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'm not going to ask any questions, but you want to use the altar, the altar is open. God spoke to your heart in any way, shape, or form. The Holy Spirit's tugged at your heart, and I challenge you to respond to that tugging.
you again for being here tonight. And Prince will be back Sunday or Saturday at the appointed time, 9.45. And uh, Tyler, he left, but uh, I, I asked him if he wanted to give motorcycle rides after church. So if you want to go ride a motorcycle, pay him a uh, dollar and maybe he'll let you take it. So, but again, good having you here tonight. And with that being said, Brother Keeney, if you don't, can you, once you come up here, sir, and close us in prayer, please, for the services. And 9.45 a.m. on Saturday. Fresh should be able to make it and just go out and do some door hangers. So we got new tracks back there. If you're interested in those and tracks that we had ordered some time ago, but they finally came in today. So make yourselves available to them. Brother Keeney. Heavenly Father, we thank you now for the message tonight. Lord, that we'd all have the resolve, the mindset be faithful in prayer and Bible study and be faithful in service to you Lord to be concerned about a lost and dying world and do something about it bless this church Heavenly Father move in our lives to get honor and glory to you throughout each one of us bless those Lord that are away from us take care of them watch over them on the highways those that are sick Lord give them touch of healing and just physical strength. Lord, just pray that our whole church family would be back to be faithful again. Bless now in Jesus' name.